This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Mike Felder, my friend from Stadium, uh, felt the same way as that ball was going through and Tennessee was ending a 15-year losing streak to Alabama. We are going to talk about Carolina and Duke, but I want to start with the game of the day maybe the game of the year so far, and that was Tennessee's 52-49 win over the Crimson Tide. Mr. Felder, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Um, get my office set up. I'm back in Charlotte. I'm living life. Oh, you have you have re-relocated? Re-relocated. We back, baby. Oh, uh, man, good for you. I, I know you're excited to be back, so uh, good for you. I am. So <laughs> how did that football rotate in that manner and still travel – 40 yards between two uprights and over the crossbar. I have no idea. Like, and listen, I'm not going to pretend to know. You know what? You know who you need to call is Dan Orner. Dan Orner might be the guy for you to call <laughs> to figure out the actual physics of that because Dan's one of these guys. He's teaching kicking. He's, te- he's got the bomb squad mounting up. and he, I don't know. He's the only person in my mind that has an answer to that question. Because for me, it was like a knuckleball. Yeah. But it came, but that didn't come off the foot like a knuckleball. Like it didn't come off the foot like an onside kick. It came off the foot like it was going to go normal, and then it just kind of reversed course. But they with the, that helicopter spin instead of the up and down spin, and yep. it was hey. The point is, they won, and that was a heck of a football game. <laughs> it was it was a great football game, and I don't even care that there were bad calls, really, really bad calls on both sides. They could have been game changing calls because ultimately, with thirty four seconds left, Alabama had a first and ten at like the Tennessee thirty. They should have won the game, or yep. at least not lost it in regulation, and yet they lost it in regulation. Yeah. I mean, Nick Saban has to be – I know he was mad at his defense, but I wonder how much of Nick Saban's ride back to uh, Tuscaloosa was self-reflective on how they allowed that to happen. I think there's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think that – look, here's the, this is what I will say about Nick Saban, and this is something that I've always – I've said about him for years. I, mean, get, I guess good grief. We're talking about decades now, huh? Yeah. Um, this is a guy. He knows where he's weak. He understands. Like, let's go back through these. Alshon Jeffrey, remember the game that he had when they beat Alabama? Mm-hmm. You're vulnerable out there on the edge. You're always going to be vulnerable out there. Uh, you think about, um, goodness, he didn't pan out. Laquan Treadwell didn't pan out in the NFL, but certainly ate Bama's lunch. Yeah. Uh, you look at Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans, and it's the ability to push the ball wide and vertical. And so – this is one of my things. I'm getting ready to throw the bulletin up here in a little bit after I go deal with Spectrum, because goodness gracious. But um, <laughs> literally, I I was doing college sports, and I said there are three things that have to happen. One, they cannot match protect. You have to get the running back into the pattern so that a linebacker gets taken out of the play. Tennessee did that. Um, you have to push the ball vertical so that Bama's safeties can back off. They did that. And then Hooker has to be a threat on the move, and he did that as well. So ultimately, the way that I looked at this, is in Saban, this is the thing that Saban understands as well. This is why I love him as a coach, because he understands where he's weak. You have 11 players on defense. If you force five players to commit to playing in the pass game with four wide receivers, now you only have six players on defense. If you move that running back outside or that tight end outside, now you only have five guys playing defense. You got five guys playing defense against a running quarterback. Now you only got four guys that can rush the quarterback because that fifth guy's got to pay attention to wherever Hooker goes. Yep. You got four guys. 
four guys that can be blocked by five, plus Hooker can take care of that guy by himself and make a play. It was great football. Heifel did a great job. And it's, it's an irrefutable point that I'm making with how you can control a defense with an offense. And Saban understands that. And his fear is, what do I do? So we saw when they brought pressure, they didn't get there. Tennessee got the ball to where they needed to get the ball to so they can make a play. That's how they built that lead. And now Saban's on his heels, and he doesn't like to play on his heels. He can't dictate, and that's the problem. The, problem. the good thing for, for Alabama is there's only one other team on their schedule that can do that, and that's all this. So we'll yeah. see what happens in that game in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we, I, there's a few more things I want to get to about the uh, about Alabama's situation and Tennessee's situation. Mike Felder, at In the Bleachers on Twitter from Stadium. So which team has, which or is, which team is in better playoff position right now, Alabama or Tennessee? Ooh, that's a good one. Because Tennessee got to play Georgia here. Yep. Soon, and that's going to be a rough one. I think Tennessee's in better playoff position. Because if you go down the list, right, and you look at that schedule, here's the reality. That cross-divisional win, it looks good. It feels good. You like yourself. You love yourself. But they got to play Kentucky. they got to play Georgia. And I think those two games are still losable. Oh, yeah. Um, those are teams that don't want to score the way that Tennessee scores, but they're also going to work harder on defense to make sure they don't have to score. And that's the mentality of those ball clubs. So I think Tennessee is probably – I think Tennessee's in a better position, though, because if they can win those games. Hey, it's Adam Golden. I'm in studio with my friend, Coach Pete DeRuder with the Capital Financial Advisory Group. Is it ever too soon to seek out you and your expertise? Really, there's no too soon. It's time to get serious. So if you're 50 or over, we call it the financial red zone. And that's when, really, it's time for you to take control of your money and, and make sure you have a firm on your side that's a fiduciary planning firm, which means they take your side at all times. Now, we'll do this for the next 10 of you who call. This is a $1,000 value, but I'm going to waive my planning fee to make sure you get your total retirement plan and you get on the right path for retirement. Call 888-843-0013, 888-843-0013, or text ADAM to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. They still can lose to Georgia. Here's where I'm they're in a better position because they can lose one of those two games. And then they'll be sitting at home the first week of December at 11-1. and one. Right. With the win over Alabama, and Alabama, I don't know what I don't know what it's going to look like if they when they play Georgia. <laughs> because but, here, here's the way I look at it: Let's just say Tennessee does lose to Georgia, right? Tennessee loses to Georgia, and Alabama beats Ole Miss, wins out. Alabama wins the wins the West. They're going to the SEC championship game, and they play Georgia. And then Alabama and beat beats, Georgia. and then Alabama beats Georgia. You've got Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. Not only all with just one loss, but wins over each other, sort of like in that uh, yeah. the transitive property. It's a tie. Yeah. So here's a, you know you know who's in the you know who's in the worst position, the Pac-12. <laughs> That's the answer. The Pac-12 is the answer. I could see because... all three uh, all three SEC teams making it to the playoff. Yeah, with Ohio State. Yep. So it's basically who's in bad position right now? TCU and the rest of the, and the entire Pac-12. And Clemson. And Clemson. So uh, Ooh, Clemson. Well, here's the thing. Oh, yeah. Clemson's in a bad spot, too. So somebody got it. So they need, they're rooting for losses from somebody, from everybody. Really. They, so they, they it's need... going to be really interesting. It's just going to be it's, – it's, it's, listen, we got, they got UT Martin this coming up week. That's not a big deal. We're not worried about that. But Kentucky and Georgia are the two games that I would circle if I'm a Tennessee fan. For Alabama, 
I think the rest of their schedule is very get through with the with the Ole Miss exception because I want to see what they look like against Ole Miss. Did they learn from their mistakes? Did they mm-hmm. did they change some things up? Is there anything to change up? Because at the end of the day, I don't think that Kool Aid McKinstry played a bad football game, but. <laughs> When you're out on an island by yourself, <laughs> sometimes you get beat. Darrell Revis got beat. You know what I'm saying? Like, 100%. Dion got beat. Darrell Revis got beat. It happened. It, it's got to be hard for, for you since you made your bones on the defensive side of the ball. It's got to be hard to watch defenses, no matter how good you are, be yeah. at the mercy of offenses in the college game. And for whatever reason yeah, that is. It, 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 but that's what it is. If you have a good offense, I don't care how good your defense is. You're at their mercy. Yeah, and again, you're at the mercy of the officials as well, which is something that I think everybody is realizing. People keep talking about ACC officials are bad or Pac-12 officials. I'm like, no, officials are all bad. Yeah. They're just all bad. It's the same everywhere. Just because you only watch ACC football, <laughs> you don't realize that they're making these same bad calls in other leagues. And I mean, we, there's something that needs to be done about pass interference because it is rampant to the point where, and this is what's scaring me about targeting, is we're seeing players treat targeting the way that they treat pass interference, where they get they 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 milk it, and then they get up calling for the penalty. And to me, that's just that that violates the spirit of what 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 the rule should be doing. Yeah, I've, all sports violate the spirit of the rules. Everybody's trying to sell penalties, and when they do, and I'll just use Brad Davison, the guard at Wisconsin for years, who used to uh, fall down, and uh, they would celebrate him by calling a charge. Never mind. That's a personal thing for me. Mike Felder from Stadium (laughs) at In the Bleachers on Twitter. All right, so Carolina wins at Duke. And I, I saw you tweeting about this, so I wanted to get into this game. I think Carolina was the better team, but Duke should have iced that game. Then we had the um, the illegal shift, and then the the chop block. I don't know if that was a chop block or not. Maybe it was. It probably doesn't matter. Uh, they didn't pick up the first down after the illegal shift anyway. So it's like Duke should have won the game, but I kind of think that was a just result because I think Carolina is yeah. better. I think UNC's a little better, a little bit high. Uh, uh, and I'm not gonna, I'm not talking about like Alabama versus Vanderbilt, but there, I think there's a little bit higher talent level. Yeah. But Elko's gonna, he's gonna dial in on that. And the, the key for me watching that football game was uh, one, UNC found a way to, to 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 try and run the football. Granted, it was through Drake May for the most part, mm-hmm. but they found a way to try to run the football. And, and at the end of the day, this is a team that between downs uh, was it Antoine green. Yeah. They have this, they have this dynamic ability down the field. Like this, I guess the scariest part is, or the, the not scariest. The problem for me is Duke didn't find a way to make this game small. Like they played it on UNC's terms. Mm-hmm. And Duke's a team that if this is a game that's playing into the twenties, I feel more comfortable for them. But as it plays into the, the the gets to the 30s, close to the 40s, now we got a problem because that's the world UNC. I mean, we saw them with the 60. What is it? 50 something, 60 something. Like I guess they, they yeah. like that. That's the world <laughs> they want to live in because it does take. And oddly enough, even as the other team scores, it does take pressure off their defense because they're like, oh, we know our guys are going to go out there and score again, so it's not a big deal. But when you play in a game that's a nail biter, a game that is, you know, 10 10 at half or or 7 7 at half. All of a sudden, the defense has to start to. They feel like they have to make a play, which gets them overextended, and instead of just you know, 
basically jogging next to receivers while they score so that you can get the ball back to your, your offense. Yeah, I mean, 35-31 is really how the game should have ended if you're, if you're Duke. Yeah. Um, they, had a, they actually picked up the first down, which would have been, I think, to the five-yard line, and they would have had uh, four downs. Carolina was down to just two timeouts. They probably would have called one there um, to hope to hold Duke to a field goal and get the ball back down seven with maybe a minute or so left. Uh, but right. that's... It's not what happened because of the illegal shift. So they were in that range where it was more manageable for Duke. Uh, frankly, I'm surprised that Carolina didn't score in the 40s, but they got pretty close yeah. to it with uh, with 38. 38, yeah. Two away. I, I think uh, I don't. I think there's maybe two more losses on Carolina's schedule, but I don't think they'll lose both of those games. Uh, I think the uh, the game against Wake is a problem because I think Wake is legitimately good. And the game against State. Well, gonna, that's the game they want to be in, though. And that's the, that's right. the part that's, that's the part that, to me, as a defensive guy, is scary. Playing Wake, that's the game that both of those teams want to play. <laughs> they want to play that game. They want to play a game where, what do you get? You get 63? I got 65. We're good. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go. This is fine. Take the over. They can't set the over high enough for me to not want yeah. the over in that game. All right, Mike Felder. Michigan gets a lot of flack for not doing the start-to-finish domination. And they sort of did that. I think it was more just after halftime when they really put their foot on the gas against Penn State. But they had issues with Maryland, who might just be good, uh, and Iowa, which always plays games that nobody wants to watch. Um, What do you make of the Wolverines? I don't think they're good. This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Like, plain and simple, I do not think that they are good. I not an issue of whether I like to watch them or not. It's more an issue of they can't do anything. And that's the part that I find to be remarkably frustrating. Now, is there anyone on their schedule that's going to provide resistance? No. With the exception of Ohio State, absolutely not. I mean, they got Michigan State in, in what, two weeks? Yeah. Yeah, they got to buy this week. They got Michigan State in two weeks. And guess what? Michigan State is booty. Yeah. Like, they're bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, and listen, I say this. I might need to lower my voice because my wife went to Michigan State, but Uh-oh. they are really bad. They're <laughs> terrible. They're so bad. Um, but, no, I think the big thing for me watching Michigan play, I think Blake Corum is very good. I like watching him play. I think their offense is uninventive. It's remarkably predictable. But if you can do – if you can have your way with the opponent all the time, then just do that. The problem for me, and this is something – you and I have talked about this before. We talked about this when Alabama, back in like 2014, right? Mm-hmm. When this was what Alabama is. We talked about it two years ago, a year ago, with how Georgia is. Doing what you want and getting by doesn't mean that you're living up to your full potential. What do you, what's the point of going out and recruiting all these wide receivers, all these guys that can make plays down the field if you only throw the ball to, to what, to Ronnie Bell and the Schoonmaker kids? What's the <laughs> point of having these other talents on your team if you're never going to give them the football, what's the point of having Angel Anthony if you're not going to give them the football? So they're not maximizing what they can be. They're doing what works for them and what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel comfortable. Right. I think that's why I love Nick Saban so much is he realized after 
Manziel, Steven Garcia, um, Deshaun Watson, he realized I got to do something different. I got to do something that's not, that makes me a little uncomfortable so that I can compete with these teams. And I don't think that, um, I don't think Michigan's living in that world. Yeah, the um, Alabama took it to another level when they realized you had to be dynamic offensively. Michigan hasn't gotten to that point yet. Uh, Ohio State is at that point. Let me ask you this question real quick. Um, who's the best quarterback uh, in terms of being an NFL prospect? Is it Stroud? Is it Levis from Kentucky? Who is it? I think there are a lot of NFL guys that are going to fall in love with Levis because of the mes- the way he looks, right? Like right. he's a six foot four guy that weighs 225 pounds that can throw the ball wherever he wants to do it. People are going to like that. But I think C.J. Stroud is the answer. Watching him go through a full field read is amazing. Like, slow the games down, folks, and get a chance to watch this kid look one, look two, look three, come back to four, and then go to five on the other side because it's his running back leaking out. Him going one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five is awesome because he knows that the one is immediate. That's your slant. The two is the post. It's going to take a little longer to develop. The three is that dig coming from the backside. And then the four is going back is another guy coming back to cross and then five is his running back leaking out to the weak side and he has all those he has those tools i think bryce young also has a lot of those tools and i was surprised at how how, how well he played honestly coming off an injury but mm-hmm. i just i think those are my two my top two i'm very curious um where people put levis as we get into kind of the draft industrial complex but certainly for me i go stroud young and then levis uh, in that group, and then I'll tell you what: next year is going to be really interesting because we're going to have Drake May. <laughs> oh yeah, we're have Anthony Richardson. We're going to have Caleb Williams. It's going to be really interesting to see what what, what this all looks like. Drake 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 May is really good. Uh, there is no question about that. All right, Mike. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Uh, good luck with Spectrum, and uh, welcome back to the state of North Carolina. Thank you, man. I'll be in Raleigh soon. I'll get. I'll get a chance to see you, man. You all right, cool. I like the beard, man. You have amazing beard game. I'm working on it every day. All right, dude. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) That's Michael Felder from Stadium. Follow him on Twitter at InTheBleachers. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.